Hey everybody, welcome to Flick and Reel, your friendly neighborhood fan cast. We are your source for news, reviews, and daily discourse. I am your host, Jesse Swift. On today's show, I am joined by Scott Fox. Good morning, guys. And uh, today we are going to be talking Wonder Woman. But before we do, um, I want to ask, are you on the go and barely sitting long enough to watch a podcast? Don't worry, we have you covered. Uh, you can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. All that you have to do is search Flick and Reel and give us a follow on whichever platform works best for you. Now, with that out of the way, let's get into our main and only topic, and that is Wonder Woman 84. We both watched Wonder Woman yesterday on HBO Max because it was doing a day and date. Uh, part of Warner Brothers' new movement with theaters and HBO Max. And we want to share some of our first spoiler-free impressions. Scott, are you ready to dive into this? Let's do it. All right, Scott, the first thing I want to bring up, because going into the film, I thought it was the most important, is the direction. Because I think both of us really greatly enjoyed the first Wonder Woman in 2017, and also direct, directed by Patty Jenkins. And I think no matter how we felt about the trailers or anything that we've heard about, whatever, the main thing kind of driving force is that it was Patty Jenkins coming back. So we were pretty sure we we're going to get the same level of quality. How did the direction come across for you in this installment? I would say uh, pretty good as a whole overall. I, I want to, there, there are some things that you can pick in this movie and, and kind of peel apart at it, but Overall, I think direction was good. My only frustration is the places where with the direction there were emotional scenes, they were really forced. They tried to almost build the emotion for you to make you want to feel those emotions. But for me, none of it actually connected. Like I, I was invested in the movie, but at the same time, the, the spots where the emotion should have been at their peak kind of just were like, while they're trying to make me feel this without actually being able to feel this, so. Uh, uh, there was a couple different points where I kind of marked it and I was like, here's where you're supposed to cry if this movie was better better uh, put together, I think. Literally and had the same conversation last night with my wife. Like these, these moments are the pinnacle moments where you should have, I should have been welled up. And I think we both know a couple of the spots where it definitely should have been welled up. And I just was like, well, Diana Prince is showing some red eyes, but it's it didn't it didn't come through the television to me. And we were talking about feeling guilty for not feeling feelings almost because we were so invested in the character in the original film. But um, before we get to our our whole, I'm not trying to spoil my thoughts on uh, whether I liked it or not because we got a little bit farther to yeah. go. But uh, I think I share some of your sentiments with the direction. Um, I don't I don't know if Patty Jenkins wrote it or not. Yes. Uh, uh, it's co-wrote Patty Jenkins and Jeff Johns. Okay. Interesting. Which, but again, I'm, a lot of that can be editing as far as the emotion. There's the the fine line between hitting that peak perfectly because mm -hmm. you have to add in the sound, the the visual, the the dialogue, everything and then um, the the soundtrack, the the music reaching that peak point when the emotions there can help push it over it didn't all just come together well i think we could bring runtime into the equation like we were talking about um early on is i thought pacing wise i had almost no problem with the first wonder woman film uh, i thought it clipped along at a really good pace um despite how i felt about the third act i think we got to it and through it at a at a good speed and i Yes, I was very tired. I had a long day. So maybe some of it was cranky, grouchiness, but I think that it drug hard. Uh, and that we have to attribute that typically to the direction. And how yeah, oh, totally. The After watching it, two hours and 31 minutes, and granted, you take out about seven minutes of credits, um, it felt like two hours and 31 minutes. Um, there's a good chunk of movie that where... Um, I'm not sure where. I would say it's little bits in many places that were unnecessary. Um, maybe some scenes that were drug on just for effect. Um, but they really did um, 
again, without wanting to get into spoilers or anything, there were, there, there were certain places where the movie was stretched, and I think total runtime really did kind of almost build fatigue. There was this weird, I don't want to use the word balance because it's kind of the opposite, but we had um, so much that was vague, but also it was too, there's too much. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot that really felt like it lacked, um, I don't want to say exposition, but some explaining, some talking through, like some things just happened and they caused confusion. So they, they spent time on things that didn't need to happen. I feel. Yeah, there were things in the story that didn't help the plot or the storyline uh, as a whole. Um, they were good for the movie as far as like, oh, like, okay, so it's set in 1984. I'm, I'm a, I was born in 81. And while this is early in my childhood, uh, a lot of the 80s feel was definitely there throughout the movie. I love that. But I think a little extra time was put into really trying to paint the picture of the fact that this is the 80s. And it's like, all right, we get it. It's the eighties. Like, I, I want, I think that that'll wrap up for my last point about direction is that this movie is called wonder woman, 1984 or wonder woman, 84. Um, I don't know what the point was, I guess watching the film. I, I don't know what the driving force for making it an eighties film was. I, I, I don't know what the impact was or the creative choice. For me, the, the goal with that was to separate it from the rest of the DCEU um so they do it in 1984 well then it doesn't have to jive with any other storylines or anything because it's predating all the other stuff um which separates it but then at the same time they i still think they still broke canon or managed to and we'll get that into some of the spoiler stuff but there's things that even separated by like 30 40 years breaks the dc continuity yeah I'm not going to, uh, totally. Uh, then you have to, I actually started doing the math. I'm like, okay, when was Batman v Superman? How old was Batman? Where is Bruce Wayne right now? I thought like, that. I was like, is baby Bruce walking around? Like yeah. Clark Kent should be in Kansas right now. Uh, you know, I was having those thoughts thinking about it. And Me too. It, again, it's not, it wasn't bad, but it certainly, um, I think the 1984, literally you could have taken this movie out of 1984 and apart from costume changes, yeah. inserted it now the only thing it did was tie in some global tensions with russia and america with the nuclear the Fair cold point. war stuff they tied in a lot of that which which if anything um kind of gives a background be like oh maybe this is the reason the tension were so high is because all this stuff happening in this movie um that's the really the only connection but those kind of tensions can be built in almost anywhere and so the the 84 thing really was more of a nostalgia type move to to i guess break out uh, a fanny pack <laughs> look look at this pretty colors okay with that oh i want to move on to um the acting we have Gal Gadot returning, Chris Pine, which we'll get into more so, but uh, Pedro Pascal and Kristen Wiig as Cheetah. And I think those are all the main players. Yes, those are those four are the key characters for the movie. Okay, and I want to, I think I want to save Diana for last. So let's go into some of the newcomers here. Um, I want to talk about Kristen Wiig because going into the film right from the casting, I'm familiar enough with Cheetah that a puzzled feeling, I guess, would be uh, a good expression for the cast and Kristen Wiig, who I love. I absolutely love Kristen Wiig, but it seemed like an odd choice, um, both as Barbara Minerva and Cheetah. How did you feel about the character? Without getting uh, too much spoilers. I, uh, to be honest, I really like, uh, I think she did a good job. I like Kristen Wiig. Um, the one thing that really jumped out is um, my wife pointed this out is early in the movie, there was a sense of being forced. The, the, the word forced is where I, I fall with this movie. Everything kind of was pushed and with Kristen Wiig. She went from bright bubbly colors to one scene later black. And my wife even noted uh, in one of the early scenes with uh, Max Lord um, at the gala, um, we go directly to a um, Diana wearing white and Kristen wig or uh, um, Barbara wearing black. And my wife goes, wow, that's subtle. 
<laughs> like not even a lapel that had a different color like it literally this, was black versus white and they did a bad guy the foreshadowing was forced like they were planting things in the movie that made you feel like okay these things are coming up um kristen wig the the trans the transfer from her being barbara to cheetah uh, i thought they the gradual build to it and the the way they showed the the transition the way that worked was really good um and i think um the neurotic bubbly kristen wig in the beginning uh felt more natural and then it was forced like i'm trying to play myself up to be a tough person um but i did like the way she was portrayed and i thought kristen wig did a, actually a really good job um if there's anybody i really did feel for it was probably barbara um because of the fact that she so desperately wanted to not be who she was, uh, and so I, I, I did, I did, uh, I did gravitate to her character a little bit more than maybe the others. Um, I, I have several issues with the handling of Cheetah just from from a comic perspective. There's a lot of things that were kind of left in the dust for the sake of convenience. They really changed the. Uh, the arc of the character and how she got to be in that place. But we're talking about the acting here. And I think Kristen Wiig did, I would say fine for me, but I think a lot of the issue with her character is some of the dialogue. There's a lot of moments in this movie, whether it be dialogue or plot lines, where it actually felt like a movie that might have some CGI would have been made in the 1980s. Uh, and so a lot of it didn't feel like it, uh, it held up to snuff with our current um, film quality and cinematics. But uh, so I think she suffered from, the character development was there, but it was almost a caricature. In a less extreme degree, she reminded me a little bit of Electro and Amazing Spider-Man 2, but not as grating. So I, I liked her. I wish there would have been some different handling. Uh, but that's, that's all my thoughts about Kristen Wiig. I'd like to go on to, um, they, they, they bury this in the trailer a little bit, but the main villain is Maxwell Lord, played by Pedro Pascal. Yeah, uh, I, I read a thing online that talked about Pedro Pascal stealing the show for the movie. And it was one of those things when I heard that, I was like, really? Uh, yeah. And then I watched the movie. And because to be honest, I didn't really even know he was in the movie until I went to go watch it and I, I read that comment. And once I read the comment, I was like, okay, well, let's see what, what happens here. And he is dynamite. Um, his desire to be more than who he is and, and how it pushes him to do things he wouldn't normally do. I wish they had elaborated more on his backstory as far as how he got into figuring out this stone and everything. It's a little too convenient and cheap plot line to just find that he'd been looking it up online like or basically but in the 80s like he had a picture of it on his desk yeah look at the opening for shazam how they did dr savannah and they they very clearly showed you that this had been his life mission correct and with uh we do get a back we get a uh, a flashback for him late in the movie that helps you understand why he's so desperate for power that might have been helpful at the beginning to lay the groundwork for the character because the character there's not really he just seems like a charlatan and then is just consumed by this desire to do these things um and that we didn't also get a very good elaboration on kind of the i don't want to give away spoilers the the way that which the stone works and the way that the god of lies kind of built that and so um it they kind of roll it out a little bit in the movie but uh that's that's getting on to plot instead of acting i think pedro pascal was fantastic and i tell you what by the end of the movie like he is into it he and what's crazy is we never like okay so pedro pascal we know mostly currently by mandalorian right yeah. mandalorian and game of thrones i think are the two popular things yeah but in this one like uh the dynamic is he really gets into that character and he does a good job uh and again the the story between father son not to not to mimic mandalorian because it's clearly not but the father son relationship in this movie i thought um by the end that was one of the things that really came together nicely um not not great 
but it did come together nicely. Like that relationship with Ascent, again, the emotional thing, I felt like they're trying to push the emotion in this spot. Um, but good. And I thought Pedro, Pedro Pascal was a, is a really good actor. And I think this actually showcased him more than any, any of the other works I've seen him in. It's one of those things where I can never get enough Pedro Pascal. Every time he's in a project, I get really excited. And I think, um, I do think he was the standout of the film. Uh, my girlfriend kept commenting over and over again. She's like, man, he's just trying harder than anyone else. Yeah. I was like, 100%. And if there was ever anything in the movie, one way or the other, that made me feel a glimpse of emotion, I think it was Pedro. Absolutely. I, I, I you talk about feeling bad for Barbara. Um, I, I felt some sense of empathy for uh, Maxwell Lord as well, which was surprising going into it. I did not expect that. And I think a lot of that is um, carried by Pedro's performance. Uh, when he is, not to get it, I don't want to do any spoilers, but when he's reaching out, trying to connect hands with people, desperately trying to get them to connect with him, to to wish, those things, you can see it. Like You feel like he needs this to happen, and he's desperate for it, uh, to the point, uh, almost consuming him, he is like, it, is, it, it almost um, swallows him whole, right? And, and so you're right as far as uh, the movie goes i'd say he is well out there as far as the standout of the movie uh whether he stole the whole movie i don't know but he certainly was the standout and uh, i want to do a little rearranging on how i have the notes set up and uh, save our feelings for the story for last and that's when we can get into spoilers a little bit so quickly i want to talk about the action maybe lack thereof how it came across the um effects what it looked like some choices uh, how'd you feel the action was done? And, you know, we don't like to compare movies to movies, but I think you can within a franchise, maybe, uh, compared to the first Wonder Woman, because there was things that I can close my eyes and imagine the first movie and get chills and goosebumps. I didn't get anything close here. Um, I hate to say that, but yeah. Uh, the Wonder Woman, so I just this week went back and rewatched Wonder Woman. Uh, just to make sure my mind was ready with what we were going to be seeing to uh, yesterday and um basically doing a back-to-back uh wonder woman one was just better i don't want i don't i don't want to pinpoint and say here there or any of these things um it just as a whole better uh the surprise in wonder woman one and it's you know now three years old plus um when the end comes and you find out who the actual villain is you're caught off guard you're like oh you knew you knew the villain as far as like the god Ares, but who Ares was certainly caught you off guard in this movie you knew who the key players were the whole time when they walked in the room the first time when there was no surprise. It was the predictability of the plot made the story just kind of feel like, okay, it, it, it stole from the peak moments because you knew they were coming. There's a couple action beats that we see in the trailer, um, both with the um, kind of, they're not tank, what are they? Um, Humvees on the, is yeah. That what they are? yeah. Um, on the road. And obviously there's the cheetah fight. Um, I felt like, through a lot of those, I'd be like nodding, like, okay, this is passable action. And then they'd just do something real corny in the middle of an action scene. And I was like, man, I was really trying to open my mind to the fact that they said, we're trying to go more like Christopher Reeve, Superman. And I'm like, I don't need that today. It's one of the reasons Superman Returns didn't work is they yeah. tried to redo a 1978 film in tonally and put it in 2020. And I'm like, I don't, it's not that entertaining to me anymore. And I think the action suffered from a lot of that. But this movie, like we brought up before, is two and a half hours long. And I guess you could say the mall scene's kind of an action scene, but it didn't really feel any sense of tensity. So at most, there's like um, three action scenes, I think, and they're not invigorating. No, they're, they're filler to get you to the next port 
part of the movie. Um, they're to break what's happening in the sequence in order to, there's an action fight sequence that all dissipates and then that moves to the next portion uh, as everyone has to recover from the fight. Uh, the opening sequence, I actually wrote down the the music playing in the background of the, opening, the... of the opening mall scene beginning of the movie. Okay, I thought you were talking about Themyscira. No, no, no. Okay. The no, no, sorry, not that portion. The mall scene when she's in the mall scene and having the uh, it shows her kind of going around helping save people, but also trying to keep it a secret. Which again, we can talk about that <laughs> that later. Um, the music playing in that moment literally sounded like a blend of Wonder Woman's uh, natural sound or the the soundtrack for Wonder Woman blended with a Superman john williams theme um they it literally felt like they were trying to build the superman-esque feel in that sequence where she was fighting crime and i i was i i sat back on the couch like huh they're they're really going for the superman vibe with this yeah uh, which also resonated later in the movie as well in some of the other sequences and i think that might be a good point to bring up uh the music and this is what's funny is after i think it was after batman v superman Hans Zimmer said he would never score another superhero movie. Wow, Hans, it took you like a couple years and he's back. Um, me and my girlfriend are huge, huge fans of Hans Zimmer. Uh, listen to the, his scores just by themselves all the time. And his score in this movie is actually, she said she closed her eyes a couple of scenes and let, just listened. And so it's beautiful. She's like, it is an immaculate score. But then she would like open them and look at what's happening on screen. She's like, it's not good enough for this music. The, well, it's the, like I said, when everything, the acting, the directing, the editing, and the music hit is when you get, that's, that's what separates uh, a good movie from an Oscar caliber movie. Right. Okay? That's why th certain things work in the Star Wars universe is because they're just hitting all of it at once or uh, um, Man of Steel for us, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Man of Steel has those moments. This movie, again, the music, when I, early in the movie, I totally felt the Superman vibe via the music and how it interlaced with Wonder Woman. It was good. The movie had some, some things in it that were really good quality. Um, I, I feel like for myself, and I don't want to get too far ahead, it's just all these pieces not lining up, you know, there's no synchronicity with it. You know, there's no synchronicity with it. And then, uh, so after music, I want to do our feelings on the story. Maybe this would be a better time because I kind of left them out of the initial conversation. We talked about our villains, but we have to talk about Diana and Steve. And I yes. think that's kind of the core centerpiece of the film. So we're just going to tie that in with um, how we felt about the whole story. And for anyone listening, from here on out, this is your spoiler warning uh, for the video. I'll try to put a spoiler tab up in the video in the corner or something just so you guys know. But uh, we're going to do a quick recap what the story's about. We're in 1984 with Diana Prince, who, as Scott said, is in hiding at least to some degree. You know, people see her, but I don't. it's not common knowledge that there is a Wonder Woman. Uh, and then we get introduced to Barbara Minerva and Maxwell Lord, and their crosses get, or their paths get crossed um, Maxwell Lord is on a mission for, I believe they call it the Dreamstone a couple times in the movie. Yeah, something like that. And if there's another name for it, we're going to go with that for, for all intents and purposes. Uh, and so they, they are both on a mission to better themselves or better them, their lives. And that puts them in direct conflict with Diana and kind of an off the cuff comment or wish that Diana makes ends up bringing Steve back in an unexpected way. That was not shown in the trailers. Uh, so I just want to stop for a second. How did you feel about what they did with Steve Trevor and how they wrote him back into the film? I think the way they brought him back, fantastic. Unfortunately, it also, I literally, after he came back, I turned to my wife, said what was going to happen by the end. And uh, are we in the spoiler zone? Yes, this is all spoilers. I said, they're going to bring him back to life. Everyone's going to make the wishes. It's going to go terrible. She's going to have to kill Steve or get rid of Steve and give him up in order to be able to fix everything. So she's going to have to choose between him and saving the world. Because and, the foreshadowing is so heavy right in the beginning. They're like, no cheating, Diana. No shortcuts. 
Oh my gosh. It was one of those things. And they did do a good job of laying the groundwork for truth early in the movie, but then it disappeared all the way until the end. And they only really talked about it as far as like the God of lies made that stone. And so the lie is it will give you what you want, but you don't know what it takes. And then the, the whole Steve arc, I loved how they did it, but again, super predictable and the emotion of the moment when they have to break apart incredibly forced and that's directing yeah that scene they were trying to gush holding hands and trying to say i love you and goodbye and all that and it was so heavily pushed and it was one of those things where i'm like man this this should have been a better moment and i almost feel like if she had done it without a face-to-face like in the midst of a battle just had to like look over to him recognizing he needs to go let it go and then move on and let him die or, yeah. or go away. He's already dead. That's the whole point. And, yeah. um, but that I, I loved what they did. The execution fell short for me uh, with the story, but it was also, it was so predictable. I mean, it was, it was literally the cheap plot trope that like poor writing does as a filler, you know? Yes. Um, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And I, what was, one of the most disappointing things for us watching is that Steve and Diana are the core of the first movie. And a lot of the reasons why it works is their relationship and how it carries on throughout the film. In this movie, I immediately, um, I am struggling here with Kat. I immediately found myself not being invested and waiting to become invested. And I was like, this shouldn't be hard. I should be able to just emotionally pick up from where we left off. But uh, all the moments that they shared and the scenes that they had together, I was still waiting for the part of the movie for me to be interested in. And that was kind of soul crushing for me because I remember after I saw the first movie, I said, I think this is the best relationship I've ever seen in a comic book movie. And I think that's up for debate, but that's, that's how I felt. And this one, it was almost Jane Foster and Thor for me. And I was like, yikes they tried to lay the groundwork of how much she had missed um, Steve in the ensuing 70 years from his disappear or his death. And it's one of those things you're like, Oh man, you wanted to feel, but they didn't do a good job of connecting how much she really missed him. They planted seeds, but I didn't feel it. And so when he came back, when, when she's trying to play up that she misses him desperately and she doesn't want to let him go because it's been the thing missing from her life for so long. It's one of those things that are just like, okay, I guess, but it, it didn't really, um, it emotionally just was a miss. And I, I did like what Chris Pine did with the role again, reprising it. Um, and he, he knew what needed to happen early. Like he spotted it and he's like, you have to let this go. You have to give up on this wish. And she was adamant there has to be another way, but you could see it coming a mile away. Actually, you could see it coming an hour and 30 minutes away. <laughs> and it just, the, how much she missed him and wanting him back didn't feel like a strong enough glue to hold the movie together because uh, they're, they're kind of saying the whole point or message of this movie is for her to let Steve go. And I was like, it's been over 60 years since he died and she has a new life. Things like romantically, she hasn't moved on, but you can tell in Justice League, she never does. So it's just like, the, I didn't see the point for the message of this film. For Diana, Diana's character arc felt like a non-story. And so by the end of the film, you're kind of feeling like you wasted two and a half hours of nothing strong enough to leave an impact on either the character the overall overall like dc story or wonder woman story or the audience watching when you walk away from the movie you you don't you're not carrying the weight of anything there's also not a sense of relief that it came to that it all came together uh there's no i've walked out of movies feeling like grief sure like uh, and then at the same time, also walked out of movies feeling overjoyed. This movie, I walked out of going, I might watch it again. And we've been looking forward to this for almost like two years. Oh my gosh. Uh, and maybe that's the problem is the buildup. It's also trying to live up to the first one, which uh, was pretty well received and it did a pretty good job. Um, but it, it just, it didn't, it didn't all work. It just didn't. And as much as we wanted it to, I kept waiting for it to really click. 
Um, I will say um, the action that is there, some of it is fantastic and it's really well shot. It's really well done, uh, choreographed. It's not overtly excessive CGI, even though there is a decent amount. It didn't, it didn't mesh just right. And so it's one of those things I, I'm, I walked away from the movie waiting for, or hoping that it would be uh, better. I kept waiting for it to really kick in. Now the third, the action I was talking about, there we go. The, um, the, the sequences, they were good. There was some CGI. The bad part is one of the best fight scenes in the movie was mixed with two of the worst visuals of the movie. Um, Cheetah's flesh. My wife visibly was like, that looks hideous. <laughs> and, and then her suit, which yeah. was kind of cool. It still, also was as a still image. <laughs> yeah. The problem was in the motion of it. And also when she had the wings, basically the, the wings were just a dome. She closed herself up and was like, I'm going to protect. She didn't use them to her advantage in any way, shape or form and other than to swoop in and do an initial hit. Orn was saying, so this is the armor of an ancient warrior that fought off armies of men and she let a cheetah just run through it. And I was like, uh, yeah. Yeah, she was trying not to fight her, so she just waited for cheetah to punch through it and rip it to shreds. And as cheetah's clawing at it and mashing it, you can see pieces flying off everywhere. And it was one of those things I'm just like, yeah, that that didn't work the way they wanted it to. Um, it looks cool in the image, but it was also, again, they teased that at the beginning, foreshadowing. She has it in the closet at her house, and she she reveals to Steve what it is. And you know, because of the, the trailers, she's going to have to wear it. So it was one of those moments like, okay, at some point she's putting this thing on. And I think what I really miss is, I mean, they, I think they said they wanted to, and we'll, we'll connect to this in a little bit, but they, they said they kind of wanted to do an homage to the Linda Carter show. And that was all about, you know, having the lasso of truth. And that was kind of her primary thing. I can't tell you how, how much I missed the sword and shield and just oh. the the hand-to-hand -hand elements that it had on there instead of her just like just magical lasso anything like oh a bullet's getting shot at steve i'm going to recognize this in slow motion whip the whip over there grab the bullet yank it out and then not only we thought in the trailers her swinging by lightning was one of the most metal things i've ever seen but she's grabbing clouds she's whipping a building that's like 500 feet away or more and just like zipping off into the sky and then I'm sorry, just like combine all this together, but she flies. She, yeah. she couldn't 30, 40 years after that. She, the fact that she figured out the flight and, and I knew it was uh, now I too. will say it, the fact that she used the lasso in the tornado effect to throw forward and then launch herself forward so she could pick up speed for flight. Um, that there were some cool elements that we saw the lasso do things that I wasn't, didn't know the lasso could do splitting in half to tie up two people at once, then whipping it back uh, in the, the mall scene. There was, um, there were just a lot of little things that it did. Yeah. The fact that it could reach, she, it literally was Spider-Man reaching out to where there's no buildings and launching forward from a bridge. Yeah. Just <laughs> like, what is it? What did, what did that line grab onto? Um, like Spider-Man could be in a field, do this and he'll launch off but when wonder woman did it it's like wh where where are we going um and again we're nitpicking little things about it but that was her weapon she got rid of everything else can i tell you the, the biggest the biggest point for us where uh, i think we kind of felt lost as an audience is they were trying to do so much to kind of show off or justify that they're going with this uh new direction tonally and having a lot of the 80s vibes and stuff but they're like, hey, you know what everybody wanted to see? Wonder Woman's Invisible Jet. And I was like, all right, well, there's a couple. I'm, before I get into this, there's a couple things with that. They stopped using the Invisible Jet in most uh, mainstream things because they gave Wonder Woman the ability to fly. And so they're like, we don't need the Invisible Jet. This movie gave her the Invisible Jet and the ability to fly. And I was like, you have made all of this pointless, like one or the other. But on top of that, they're sitting in the jet and she's like well how can we disappear from radar she's like well front my father used to be able to disguise things and make them disappear or whatever and i tried it with a coffee cup once and it lasted a couple minutes but let me just do this dr strange magic here and make the entire jet invisible i said what wonder woman power is that and we, we for the next like 20 minutes i kept looking at my girlfriend we would just randomly go and it was <laughs> i uh, 
<laughs> There's, they were intermixing things that didn't weren't necessary to the plot. That was total fan, uh, sloppy fan service. Yeah, the, flame, the service. That's what I was fan service. Where they're the hey, she had an invisible jet. Let's show how it got into an invisible jet. Um, as soon as that came up, I go, oh, they're gonna have, uh, they're gonna fly in one of these planes. My wife's like, where she get all the planes? I'm like she owns them all. <laughs> she's like, she, wait, she's rich. Like, okay, we can't get into all the backstory on here, but she's also, you know, a hundred years old. So, or uh, several hundred years old. And there's so many little layers to that. But when they got in the jet and she took off and in a real jet, by the way. Flying a prop plane during World War One, when planes were brand new, and converting that knowledge <laughs> to a fighter jet—it's like Star Wars. I'm a pilot. I can I, I can fly anything. I'm a pilot. Nope. 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 <laughs> nope. That it's one of those things where I saw that and I'm like, that this is not fly. And he's just flipping switches like, oh, gas fuel. And he's saying all, all the right words, I guess. I'm not a pilot, so I don't know, but. It was total, like, I know people who can fly a Cessna. You do not put them in a jumbo jet because the number of switches and everything required to fly that, yeah. completely different. And he hasn't, yeah, let's just move on. It was unbelievable. And then, like you said, they get in there, and then she's like, oh, we need to hide from radar. And then she puts her, then moment, there's some moments she's holding the plane in order to keep it invisible. And then other moments she's just like, I'm relaxing because I don't need to make it invisible. Do you need to touch it? Remember when you tried super hard to do a coffee cup and now you're just holding this for like a possibly hours. You're just making this jet invisible. And um, with, with the Steve Trevor plane thing, um, again, my girlfriend wanted to love this movie so badly. Like she was more hyped on the trailers than I was. We both love the first one, but she said under no circumstance is any pilot, I don't care who you are, driving through the middle of fireworks or flying through the middle of fireworks. And I was like, yeah, it sure is pretty, but man, it's stupid. But it was invisible, man. Uh-huh. It was protect. Okay, we're getting we're getting into the into the deep end on, on sorry some of these things. So, okay, it, so it literally just another one of the things that were like a, an attempt at fan service, too casually thrown in, and then we have powers that are not consistent with her abilities in the other movies. And so you said it earlier that we got some things that threw off canon. Yeah. Okay, so what can she do? What can't she do? Yeah, I think I think the the I say later movie the earlier movies, but later in like the timeline, it was pretty clear what Wonder Woman's powers are. She's very yeah. fast. She's very strong. She's pretty invulnerable. Um, you know, she's she's a more grounded Superman, which is how I've always kind of viewed Wonder Woman. She's but she's more hand to hand combat, not laser beams and stuff like that. But we didn't get the hand to hand combat here. She just whipped everything. I even told Shauna, well, she didn't have to punch anything up until she fought Cheetah. And even fighting Cheetah, she did not punch Cheetah at all. She was trying to protect her. The I told Shauna, I'm like, she's she's essentially the Hulk who can jump extreme distances but can't actually fly. Right. And then five minutes later, she was flying. And I, was I was able like, to okay. take gliding. Like, she could slow her descent or whatever, but I just... All right, yeah. so let's let's go maybe and move into the the culmination because we're doing like the Maxwell Lord and Cheetah wrap ups and characters and how we felt that character arc went because as much as I love Pedro Pascal's performance and I do like Kristen Wiig a lot, uh, the end felt maybe like the the peak of the hamminess and I was pretty disenchanted and removed from the storyline at that point. But I want to know what your feelings were. At that point, I, I resigned myself to the fact that the movie was what the movie was. Um, Kristen Wiig's wrap up and how she settled back into basically being Barbara, um, except for with heavily, heavy black eyeshadow. Um, and it was, I was okay with it. Okay. The, the hamminess of it, um, Kristen Wiig's character just kind of fell off. And, and emotionally you're like, Oh, that's, that's sad for her, but you're not really tied to that character anymore. Um, you know, what's going to happen to her is, you know, yeah. And it's disappointing because now also there's no cheetah. And with Max Lord, I love the connection back with his kid. I love that he was finally honest about stuff. And it was cool. They didn't have to kill everybody off. 
Correct. Yeah, that was that would have been disappointing. But hey, what about the fact that this guy's now going to be culpable for billions of dollars in damages? Oh. Oh, yeah. uh, also, how come the nukes all went away, but everything else that he did didn't just magically disappear? There are certain things that he did that that corrected as soon as the wish was re- uh, forgiven or um, uh, renounced. He renounced his wish. So many people renounce them and a lot of things go back fixed, but then yet there's debris and other crud everywhere. So it's like, well, the wishes go away, but then the actions of the humans don't. That's that's one of the things I'm like, okay, well, did did they only launch the new nukes that he wished for? Or did they not launch any of the ones that previously owned? Which ones come back, which don't? There's a lot of holes in that. There's a lot of convoluted elements, I think, in the movie um, throughout. I... I I agree with your sentiments on the final act. I don't have that much more to add other than the fact that the climax is resolved by Wonder Woman having a lasso tied around Maxwell Lord's ankle and then just talking through him, through the projector, which I thought she wrecked the monitor or projector, but yet everyone was hearing it. So I guess it wasn't destroyed. Um, It all felt, she was wearing plot armor throughout the movie and she was using plot weapons that have no rules, they're as vague as can be, and whatever they need them to do at any given point is exactly what they were able to do. All right, so we uh, we experienced some technical difficulties, so if there's a little chop in the podcast, I apologize, um, but we were talking about just the continuity breaks between this movie moving into the current timeline, I would say, of the, the DC universe, because even though Wonder Woman movies have never tied very closely, it is still part of it and I feel like the ability of her flying this big event that happened with Maxwell Lord with the wishes happening you think that would have been referenced at some point it's like hey remember when like we were on the verge of nuclear war and uh, there was riots in the streets across all the countries and walls came up and disappeared and I was talking about how it um, really related to uh, Superman 1978 and in that way, it was because uh, in, in the 1978 movie, uh, Superman, uh, when all these bad things happen, he flies around the world and spinning it on its axis the opposite direction causes time to go backwards. And then uh, he like, I think he stares the Great Wall of China back into existence. And that's what this movie felt like is they were making those kind of reaches with the abilities of Wonder Woman. And I maybe it wouldn't have been so jarring if this was the first time we ever saw Wonder Woman, but because we've seen her in three other movies, uh, it just didn't sit right. No, there was a lot of flaws with it, just to be honest. The um, the fact that, well, and with the continuity, like what, what wishes went away, what wishes didn't uh, when they were... Right. Um, renounced there there was just a lack of consistency in what did and didn't work in what power she did and didn't have what the lasso of truth can and can't do um and they really leaned heavily with truth being the thing that was her only weapon basically the entire movie and then even when she put on the extra armor her weapon was still the lasso of truth um and so there's yeah, there was there were some some issues, some huge issues uh, with the consistency of the story and the continuity of it. Um, so yeah, it, it, that was my bit, one of my biggest frustrations. I just felt like they're doing whatever they want. Like, not to say, and I hate to say this against Jeff Johns or Patty Jenkins, but it felt like lazy writing. It did, in the words of Deadpool. Well, that's just lazy writing. Yes. Um, because they're like, well, what is Please Diana- don't give me a green CGI suit. Yeah. What did Diana need to do in this scene? Uh, well, this needs to happen. Cool. I think the lasso can do that. Oh, can it? Mm, today it can. And so I think before we get into our overall, maybe just numbered reviews or overall reaction to the film, uh, I think I want to take a brief second to talk about the mid credit scene, which I had read about close to a week ago i couldn't keep myself away from it i was like what's the mid-credit scene it's been i've been waiting over a year for this movie i want to know and it they said it's linda carter playing a character called asteria i think and and it's kind of like a wink literal wink in the nod to the camera about like hey remember when i was wonder woman and i was like that's cute 
and then I saw it and I was like, this doesn't work on any level. Like this was the the tip, this was the nail in the cheesy coffin. And I was just like, wow, I it didn't need to happen. And she's just walking around in like a blue robe, and you can see that she's got like the ankle armor on underneath it. And I was like, I don't I don't know what's happening here. <laughs> uh, I think it uh, might have even had a wrist cuff on. Yeah, she did. Um, but she catches the falling beam with one hand um, and puts it back up. And it, oh, it's just about using lever. Use the, the same line as everything else uh, earlier in the movie about how Wonder Woman talks uh, uh, to Barbara about how she fought off the guy using his leverage against him. Yeah. It was okay. But it was. It, I, with the end credits thing, it it's fine. It works as far as just paying homage or uh, paying homage to uh, Linda Carter and her role as Wonder Woman. Uh, you know, always cool to see some fan treatment and things like that. Was it necessary? It didn't do anything to lay the foundation for another movie or to do anything like teaser going forward. Um, I was excited when I saw. I told my wife, "Oh my gosh, they're it's Linda Carter," and she goes, "What?" It's like <laughs> Linda, Linda Carter was Wonder Woman in the TV show back in the 80s. She's like, oh, okay. Um, and then my wife goes, oh, so she's the eyes? I'm like, what? No, she's the lady who was in the suit. And she goes, yeah, all you could see was her eyes. So she was the eyes? I was like, yes. Yep. Yes. Thank you for the oversimplification of the, the statement. But yes, that's who Linda Carter yes. was. Um, and it was it was okay. You know, it, it didn't do anything to help. It didn't hurt. Um, a little cheesy. It was like the equivalent of the Howard the Duck came um, cameo in the first Guardians of the Galaxy at the end. Correct. You're like, uh, which okay, uh, you know the Howard the Duck cameo in um, Endgame was actually better. Um, <laughs> just one of the five million people in the battle versus Thanos. Uh, so it wasn't it wasn't terrible. It wasn't great. It, it was it was cool to see, and I'm glad they you know I like a little bit of fan service. I think it could have been better, but they were trying to play it up as though it was Gal Gadot walking there um, with the hair, the way she looked and everything. Um, but clearly Linda Carter, which was, it was okay. Yes. Uh, it's funny. I, I almost like, I turned the movie off with like a gumption. The second the scene ended, I said, all right, that's it. And I hit the power button. I was like, that's the movie. <laughs> yep. um, so, so overall effect yeah. though. Let's just go out of 10. Seems to be the score that most anyone can, uh, relate to or take things from what do you got for me scott all right so i have to explain this slightly okay. and i went with a 6.9 and right. i need you to hear me out when i say this because it's higher than a lot of the scores online are getting right um, now i just hear bill and ted go 6.9 dude <laughs> the reason being is that i feel like a 6.5 does a disservice to the movie it's too low but then i feel like a 7.0 sure. is too high and so I went with the 6.9 because it's as high in the sixes as I could go without giving it a seven. The And overall, my problem with the movie that we haven't listed already is literally it was the most predictable movie I've seen in a long time. I guessed the entire plot line a half hour in. And some of it I guessed in advance just because I'm a fan and I follow movies and sure. I, could, I could guess where it was going. They jumped into the whole wish thing within minutes. Yeah. And it was really rushed. And then uh, we talked about it. The movie felt rushed the entire time, but then was also slow, which is w a weird dynamic. It was um, in a hurry to go nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> very much so. But the, the idea that it was a, um, it's, it is entertaining. It's got great visuals. Um, the action sequences, while they're limited, some of them are pretty cool. Some are a little hokey in the midst of a really cool action sequence. Um, but I'll get off track. 6.9 because 6.5 is too low, but it doesn't warrant a 7. I don't want that 7 on there because that puts it into a different like echelon. Yeah, and it's echelon not of, there. Yeah. yeah. Um, more, more in the fresh. And it's, it feels a little less than fresh. Mm -hmm. Um ironically i feel i felt called out because like 6.5 is too low i was like well that's 6.5 is where i'm going um because to me i kind of the same mentality i was like seven's generous and six is harsh so i'm landing in 6.5 um because i was trying to compare what's the last like movies i saw that I'd give about a six 
I'd give like Suicide Squad a six. And I think I like this more than Suicide Squad. But maybe that's because I already liked Wonder Woman and Diana. And Six is Suicide. high because for Suicide Squad, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I think this also gets, this movie got hurt by Wonder Woman. Yeah. The, the first, the original. Well, I think this movie is hurt by everything else that involves Diana. I think maybe <laughs> if this was the only Wonder Woman movie and I was just excited to see Wonder Woman, I'd be like, oh, maybe <clears throat> 7.5. Maybe, and maybe that's not fair, but it's fair or not. 6.5 and 6.9 is where we're going. So we average somewhere around like 6.75, something like that. That's probably the more mm-hmm. accurate rating. Which is that 6. Pretty, 7. pretty in line with, what is it? The critics on Rotten Tomatoes is really close. That's like 68%. Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes has it at a, uh, 6.3 on IMDb and six point or 67% for the critics on Rotten Tomatoes. Fans have it at a 74. So, I, I, I can't see a 74. If you were to break that down to the tenths, it's 7.4, and that's just too high for this movie. We do have to remind ourselves of Rotten Tomatoes. It's not that they're giving it like a 7.5. You either give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down or yeah. recommend or would not recommend. So that means... 74% or 60 whatever percent is how many people gave it a positive review. And I'm on the borderline. Like if someone's like, would you recommend it? Would you not? I'm like, I, uh, uh, I'm not yeah, sure. if we're doing that, <clears throat> I'm ambivalent. It's whatever. Yeah. It's worth the watch. It's entertaining, but I, this would be a movie. I'll be honest. If I had spent 20 or $30 to buy it on Blu-ray or to go to the theater, I'd or be like, a hundred, hey. like you say, when you bring the family. Yes, because I have a huge family. If, if I had spent the money to take my entire family to the theater to see this, yeah, I'd be frustrated walking out been like, well, that wasn't worth my dollars. Right. And granted, this might be also a movie that visually would have been better on the big screen. Perhaps. And <clears throat> and so it maybe it suffered from not being able to take in the full visual in a theater. Um, but even, even places where theaters are open and some of the critics did get to see it on a bigger theater, it still didn't improve the the effect i i gotta say they warner brothers was saying one of the reasons they just wanted to get it out on hbo max and they couldn't wait for all the theaters to open is they're worried about the movie being stale and here's here's my last shot of the movie before i wrap up i think this movie would have been stale 10 years ago and that's yeah. that's how i feel about it um the the story the plot a lot of the elements dialogue it all feels dated and i'm not saying 1984 dated i'm just saying it quality wise the movie feels dated the last, years. my last thing that I want to say about this movie is this did nothing for the the DCEU. Yeah. If this movie was never made, uh, the only thing this did to the DCEU is change canon. Um, and uh, I am hopeful they give a third part, uh, a third movie to Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins and give them the opportunity to um, maybe write this. But this this falls in to the vastly large percentage of sequels that did not live up to the original. And Patty, as we know, will be busy for the next little while. So maybe she might have to come on as a producer or something. But yep. anyways, that wraps up my thoughts for Wonder Woman 84. And hey, you don't have to uh, agree with us. If you have a different opinion, you know, we don't have to be combative about it. Leave it in the comments section down below if you haven't already uh, click the subscribe button. And let us, we want to hear from you guys. What did you feel about Wonder Woman 84? Do you want to see another one? Is this diminishing returns? What Did you get to uh, go out and see it in theaters? Because we have theaters open in several states. Here in Washington, we do not. So it was the bedroom for us or living room. Living <laughs> All right, room. guys. Thank you so much for joining us. I've been Jesse Swift and Scott Fox. Thanks, guys. All right. So until next time, keep it real. <laughs>